0: all right Matthew chapter 13 that's where we're at we just got through last time we're down to verse 24 tonight and uh, we'll pick up there and again we're dealing with the parables of the kingdom Uh, Schofield calls them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and again I'll just remind you there are a bunch of mysteries in the Bible so when you read that word mystery, don't instantly think about the body of Christ and the church, you know. Read the context. It's amazing to me, if you just keep reading, it usually answers your question, <laughs> you know. Um, I, after Sunday, I had a couple questions from folks here, and then my son tells me, you know, you, you said that, that, don't email you and everything. And that sounded kind of I'm like, people know they can email me, then I got emails, you know. I'm, I just... Every now and then, you know, you get a tour of a certain kind too many, you know, and it's like okay, enough. <laughs> but uh, and some of it was, you know, hey, the stuff in Revelation 21. And what if you keep reading? You a lot of you, you know, I, I was do, talking to one emailer, and I just I told them read the next verse. You didn't read far enough. I just literally back, read the next verse. Rick. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, we're here with the parables, and uh, we've been looking at the parables. Really, the, the the why he began to talk in them, and uh, again, we've uh, clearly identified here the the issues that are at hand of why he talked in them. It was for one group not to get them, the apostate nation to, to miss it, the believing remnant to get it, the, the cruxed, or the center of all of the parables. And that really goes for, this goes for all of them. There's seven here. There's going to be a few more later in the book. And then, you know, there's, there's a bunch here and there and so forth. All the parables uh, have the theme of the kingdom, the kingdom that's coming. Okay, I'm using the chart tonight, the kingdom that's coming. So when we come here to Matthew 13, uh, the rejection of Christ in his earthly ministry has been clearly identified. And he's began, begun uh, to speak in parables, and again, in, in order to hide the truth from the folks who have rejected him, and to make the truth known to that believing remnant. We saw the first parable, the parable of the sower. We saw the explanation of it. And he interprets these first two parables. Then again, the la- and then he interprets, by the way, the last one of the seven that we're going to go through here. And we'll see that one when we get over there. And he does it so that the believing remnant kind of have a key. Uh, I was looking at a map uh, Monday um, up on the rim and uh, uh, Woods Canyon, Forest Lakes area, and so forth. And uh, they had a key you know, at the bottom right-hand, left-hand corner, left-hand corner, it was a key. How to read the map? Well, that's what the parab- the interpretations are. Here's how to read the parables, because you're gonna get. He's gonna give them these, and here he takes his time with them. But later, like in when we studied in Luke, he gives them and he moves right on. He doesn't. They go, uh uh uh. He's because he's already given them the information. So as we go through the fir- the the, the interpretations here, uh, again, the first one he, he's, we, we've seen, he's given the interpretation here. And then here he's going to interpret the second one for them. And uh, he's, again, setting the standard and that they then can look at him in the future and understand what he's been talking about. In the first parable, the parable of the sower, we saw last time that it refers to the ministry where Christ is sowing the seed and where he is gathering together the little flock. Now, in the second parable, it starts here in verse 24, and this is the parable of the tares. This parable only appears in the book of Matthew. It doesn't show up in Mark or Luke or John. Actually, there are hardly any parables in John. When we, we studied Luke and John very extensively and so forth. The second one here, the parable of the tares, is going to focus in on the ministry of the little flock. And he's going to tell the little flock what their ministry is going to be uh, when he sends them out in his absence. So, not back here, but over here. And that, Again, we're not in the body of Christ... We close the chart up. It's right here. That's the deal. So he's here, and he's going to look out over here and give them this set of information and so forth that's, uh, that's there. Okay? Verse 24. Let's read the parable. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Uh, and, and again, the first parable he doesn't start. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man. He just starts. So again, the kingdom is going to be the issue here. Verse twenty-five. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, they appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go out and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, that's the parable. And he gives it to them, but, and then he gives them the next two parables. And then in verse 36, so look over at th- verse 36. This is where we're going to be. He gives the interpretation, because I want you to see the interpretation here. Okay? Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. Now you've got to remember, he, back in verse 1, he's out on the boat. Verse 1, Then sa- that, uh, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. So he's gone outside of the house. He went down to the seaside. And he gives those first four parables from the seaside, from outside of the house. Now he's going back inside the house and in the intimate uh, setting and the company of his disciples, he says, and his his disciples came unto him saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now he's already given them the first one. Now they come come to him and say, hey, give us the second one. (laughs) And you know what, they would, they would have said, give us the third, fourth, and fifth one too, but after the second one, they've got it down. Verse six, seven. he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Now, he's going to interpret the parable for them. And again, what we're going to find here is that He's going to talk to that little flock that he's gathered up, and he's going to now prepare them to send them forth into the world. And he's going to describe for them their ministry and what it's going to look like and what it's going to be like and what they're going to be doing. Now, you'll notice at the end of verse 37, the sower is the Son of Man. Verse 38, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, there's some things we have to notice here. You'll notice that the good seed here is not the word of the kingdom. Back in verse 19, if you look over at verse 19 in the explanation there, when one heareth the word of the kingdom, that was the seed. Here, the seed is the children of the kingdom. So he's, so he's, the seed that he's sowing now is not just sowing the, the, the seed of the word and so forth and the gathering the little flock and so forth. Now it's taking that little flock and sending them, sowing them into the world. Verse 38. "The field is the world." Now that's a wonderful thing there. Uh, Come back with, uh, let's go back up into the verses here. Verse 37, the sower is the son of man. Uh, Come back with me to to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Because when you talk about this title, the son of man, the sower is the son of man. That title, the son of man. Now, the reason I say it that way is because Ezekiel is called son of man. He is never called the Son of Man. He's just Son of Man without the the. Here, he, it is the Son of Man. And, and I make that distinction because Ezekiel makes that distinction, and we need to have that in the back of our mind. But the Son of, that, that title, the Son of Man, is a very special title for the Lord Jesus because it refers to him in a very special capacity. And that capacity, verse, uh, Daniel 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came from the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people, nations and language, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Notice verse 13. In verse 14, who is he? Okay, well, he, verse 13 is his title, the Son of Man. But in verse 14, the title, the Son of Man, is a title that, that refers to the messianic office of a king. He's talking about his Messiah kingship, okay, where he is, it's a title that's been given to Christ as one to whom the kingdom is given, and then then where he is going to exercise dominion over the earth. Okay, so the Son of Man is a messianic title as Messiah, but as king, here's your kingdom, and you have dominion over the earth. You see that in verse 14, okay? Come back to Revelation, verse chapter 1. When you come to Revelation 1, in the book of the Revelation, you have the same title show up. Revelation 1, verse 13. And here, it, it appears, again, in regard to the Lord Jesus Christ, but in connection with his Revelation but at the time of his coming back to the earth and his ruling and his reigning in the earth revelation 1:13 and in the midst of the seven candlesticks one like unto the son of man clothed with the garment down to the foot and the girdle about the paps and a golden girdle again the title one likened unto the son of man that's who he is and again, you read on down, and he gets involved. So when you see, come back to Matthew 13, when you see this title, actually go to Matthew 8, just to remind us, we've been through Matthew 8 already. The first time that title, Son of Man, appears in the New, in, in, in the New Testament is Matthew 8, verse 20. Matthew 8, 20, And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds have holes of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. So in the, in the beginning, he's got what? No place to lay his head. But then when you get over there to the end, Revelation 14, 14, he comes back, again, the Son of Man coming back, and there he's doing what? He's got crowns of crowns and crowns. He's coming back as what? King. That's who he is. So going over there to Matthew 13, by the way, the title of the Son of Man appears only in the Gospels and in the Acts account, it skips over Paul's epistles, it does not appear in Paul's epistles, because Paul is not talking about the messianic role of the Savior, (laughs) he's talking about a different role of the Savior, okay, so... He, the role of the Lord Jesus Christ here in the gospel and in Acts and then in the Hebrew epistles where it shows back up is about him being king, having dominion over the earth. So if you'll remember that here, again, in Matthew 13, when we the sower is the son of man. It's, it, it's Christ in that, in that, and he carries that messianic title that, in that role of a king. And again, in his and, and and again, it's very special, and it's a very special role of being Messiah. And I'll just I gotta say it again: the parables have nothing to do with us, the church, the body of Christ. I know I preach to the choir. One day I'm gonna do a message on preaching to the choir, because we always say it, you know. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is people listen and, and hone in and 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 are not sitting here. And we'll see the video down the road. Again, these parables don't deal with the dispensation of grace. They're dealing with the time period when the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of Man, when He's Messiah. Matthew 13, 37. And He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world. Now, that's an interesting part there to notice now where this parable is looking towards. Come over to Matthew 15, chapter 15. Because everybody talks talks about the parables and all this wonderful stuff, and yet it's fascinating to me. The field is the world. What's he looking towards? Well, Matthew 15, verse 24, what does the Lord say? But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We're very familiar with Matthew 10, aren't we? He tells them, I'm sending you to the, you don't go down into the Gentiles or Samaritans, you go into who? The lost sheep of of Israel. So when this parable now says that the field is the world, that tells me that the focus of this parable is not the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not focus on the time period prior to his crucifixion. Now, it is given at that time. In the time period here of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and everything he's doing, he's giving them the information. But it doesn't focus here... It's focusing over here on the other side because he's dealing with doing what? That little flock. The parable is giving during his earthly ministry where he's making the provisions for, he's teaching that little flock that, hey, look, after my ascension, at, during my absence, you remember over there he tells them uh, in Luke 19, the parable of the nobleman goes away, gets the and he says while i'm gone occupy and when we went through that i told you it's an occupation it's a job it's not you know we've been all of us have been occupying our homes it's not it's not the occupying okay it's the occupation it's a job that they're to go to do here in his earthly ministry he's giving them the details he's giving them the instructions but when he gets over, when his resurrection happens, and then his ascension, and he goes off, that little flock's got a job to do. And when you come back there to Matthew 13, they need to understand the environment they're going to be in doing that job. And that is literally what he's dealing with here. When we get over into the, when you get over into the book of Acts, they're going to begin to deal with rejection. They're going to be, begin to deal with uh, persecution and tribulation. And they need to understand that the field is the world and the tares are the children of the wicked one. they got to understand the opposition. They have to clearly and identify what's going on there. Come over to Mark 16. Okay, and, and again, notice here what he's doing. He's sowing these people into the world, if, you, if I can say it that way. Hey, the good seed, who are they? They are the children of the kingdom. They are the believing remnant. They are the true Israel of God. He's telling them here about future events. Okay? That's why I got the chart up there. I'm not scribbling. Chalk dust flying. He's talking about right here what's going to happen. Notice Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, now, this is obviously after the resurrection, during the 40 days there where Acts 1, verse 8, he spends with them prior to that. Remember we looked at the end of Luke and the end of John where he literally goes around and he's giving them, uh, he's giving them appendixes to the commission. In Matthew 28, when they go out, that's a Matthew 28 fits here in the kingdom what are you guys going to do in the kingdom? You're going to go into all the nations and you're going to be preaching and you're going to be reaping the nations. Well, what's going to happen here? Mark 16 is going to happen here. What's going to happen? You're going to be able to drink the deadly things, handle. You're going to be okay. Luke 24 is over here. This is what's going to happen. We're going to have your eyes open and so forth. Acts 1, you're going there, okay? John, you're over here and stuff like that, all right? That's quick, but just kind of remind you that. And he said unto them, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Again, he's sowing them into the world. If you look back up at verse 14, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. That's Luke 24. Okay, that's when this happens. And, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, see in verse 24, after he's appeared to them, sat with them at eat, upbraided them, then he says, verse 15 and 16, you're going to go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. So uh, come over to Luke 24, just see it here. So the commission there, the, the information there, the appendix, I like to call them, not that you want it to blow up on you, but the, the, the appendix there in Mark 16 is taking place at the same time as of Luke 24, verse 45 and 46 and 47 here. Verse 44, he opens their eyes. Verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. So he's opening their, under, opening their eyes. He begins to explain some things to them. Verse 46, he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among who? All nations but what? beginning at Jerusalem. So, again, I, I the scope of their ministry is no longer Israel only. It's going to everybody. But where do they got to start first? At home. See, Israel is first there, but they're going to the world. That, and that's the point there. And, and, again, that's the point of the parable of the tares is, look, you guys are going to go out here to the world, so we're not here, we're here. And when you go, this is what's coming your way, a bunch of tares, the wicked one. Yeah, not good is right. It's going to be rough with you. And, and if you can remember that, then this stuff, again, it doesn't get easy, but it gets easier to grasp and to see what's going on. There, come over to Acts 1. You see, folks, the order of their going out is very clear. Acts 1, verse 6. Yes. Yes. Yes? I mean, just like they never left the earth? Dead. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, in Hebrews, he says, we're not going to go back to the doctrines of Christ and the early stuff. We're moving forward. So it, it's, they'll have a... Uh, they when they're resurrected here into the kingdom and so forth, they will have the new covenant confirmed in them. So all the law is written in their hearts. The motivation is proper. Because when they start the kingdom age, the kingdom thousand year living and so forth, they will sin no more. They, have, they will be able to actually forgive sins and do some of that again that Christ had told them. Because they're resurrected into with a new body, with a resurrected body. This is the little flock. Also the believing Gentiles. Yes. Yeah, there will be more than what you imagine. If you think about... The if you go back to numbers, it's always interesting. You you got Acts 1? Look over at Acts chapter. Well, Acts 1. Look at verse 15. The number of the names together at the end of that verse were about 120. That's the priestly number in the kingdom that serve in the in the in the temple. Well, why is there 120? because 120 are going to do what? serve. You go over to three, to chapter 2. Got to find it. Chapter 3 2 2 2 241. Chapter 2 verse 41. You see at the end of that verse uh, uh, unto them about 3000 souls. In Exodus 32, there's 3000 of them that are Moses kills. Because they were in sin he just replaced the number mm-hmm. Exodus thirty-two twenty-eight. if you look at the end in chapter 4 and you look there at verse 4 was about 5,000 and you go run that bad that thing it's a, again a replacement number all of and okay so then you keep running over chapter 5 chapter 5 verse 14 now, now and, and the believer's uh, Were the more added to the Lord, multitudes. You see the multitudes? Then you come into chapter 6, and it's a great multitude. What, what's going on? You go back, literally, you go back to the book of Numbers, and you get the accounting numbers out from Moses, and that is literally what you see replaced back over in the kingdom with the, the believing remnant through, through the work of the 144,000 who are going to mirror what the little flocks doing and, the, and so forth. We'll see that in just a minute. But when they go back into that bad boy, they are right there numerically where they were in that coming out number, which the coming out in Exodus was a mixed multitude and it was a little over two million people that came out of that place, out of Egypt. Just a little over two million. Again, you gotta be able to count the numbers right, okay? Where did I tell you? Acts 1. Notice this again. The the tares, the little flock. Their ministry is going to be in the world, but it's but the order of them going. Verse six, when they therefore were uh, again. Verse three, he spent forty days. He spent forty days with them, speaking to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse three, verse six, they asked a question, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That is a legitimate question. It's a question that comes out of the Bible study that they've just been having with the Lord, where he's opened their understanding. He's showed them all of the Old Testament prophecies. He's got them all lined up, and they're ready to go. He's ginned them up. He's goosed them. He's got them all fired up to go. They ask the legitimate question, and the Lord says, no. (laughs) Just pop the bubble. Why? Because they've got some things to do. Verse 8, Acts 1, verse 8. Verse 7, just so we continue it. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. That order is clear which way they're going. And again, that's what the parable is is telling. He's sowing these folks into the world. But there is an order to it. Jerusalem, then all of Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world. They're being sown into the world. And in his ministry, come back to Matthew 24. In the ministry here, the parable... And again, they're going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom out there in all of the world. Matthew 24, look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. <laughs> the gospel of the kingdom. Again, what did he say in Mark 16? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every king every creature. So the king, the gospel of the kingdom, it's going out there. And uh, it, it, come over to Isaiah 66. just show you some of this back here. <clears throat> Again, he's taking the little flock, he's going to sow them out there into the world and they're going to go out there preaching into the world the about the kingdom, and they're going to go out into all the nations, and they're going to be preaching the kingdom, they go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Then they get out there and they start going. And again, the question is is, why does he go to Jerusalem and Samaria and all those guys first? Why don't he just go right to the world? Well, he's got to send the first thing he's got to do is send them into the world so they can be the witness all over the world, to all the nations. In order to gather the nation of Israel out of the world. Okay, that's number one. Okay. Where, where are the 12 tribes? And in, in here in a little bit, we'll see it over in Acts 8. Where are they? They are scattered. So, the first, again, we're not here. We're on this side. After Acts 7 event, what happened to them? Acts 8, verse 1. There ain't nobody in Jerusalem but the apostles. Where are they? James 1.1, 1, 1. they're scattered, aren't they? So what does he got to do? The first thing he's got to do is go get up Israel again, doesn't he? He's got to go gather those guys up, get them together. So he's going to get, gather them up. He's going to go out there and he's going to take that good seed and he's going to scatter them out into the nations. He sends them out there. Isaiah 66, notice it here. By the way, everything we're reading about in Matthew and all the stuff with the parables, all of it's in the Old Testament. Every stinking little bit of this stuff sits in the the prophets. And I I told myself to try to give you some of the Old Testament too so you see it. Verse 7, Isaiah 66, 7. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travaileth, she brought forth her children. Now, you have to notice something there very carefully. Verse 9, Shall I bring to the birth, and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord, and so on. Because there's some things in these verses that people miss. And therefore, they miss the stuff over here in the book of the Revelation. Okay? Notice verse 7 and 8 very carefully. Verse 7. Before she... By the way, the she is who? Israel. Okay? Before she has labor pains, before she travailed she did what she brought forth a man child isn't that interesting as soon as she verse 8 as soon as she travails in other words in verse 8 she does travail she brings forth a man child verse 7 but then she travails again and what does she pop out this time a nation so there's two issues there. And again, people miss this every time I ever hear anybody read it. And I want you to make sure you see it. There are two issues. There is a man-child born before the great travail. And then there is a great travail out of which a nation is born. Okay? Yeah. Exactly. They, all, they, they twist it all up. Come over to Revelation 12. So... Understanding that, come over here to Revelation 12, and what do you read in Revelation 12, verse 5? Well, you read about a man-child being born, and everybody and their brother goes, Oh, Lord, (laughs) that's the Lord, and it's not the Lord. Revelation 12, verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Well, back up, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. That's Israel. That's who we're talking about. All right? Verse 5, what does she bring forth? A man-child who is to do what? Rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And again, the commentaries, everybody and their brother. I was just reading Bullinger's Revelation again just to catch up on a couple things. I, and you know what he says? That's Christ. That's the Lord. Well, come back to chapter 4 of Revelation. That's what it says in Schofield's notes here. Revelation 4, verse 1. Revelation 4, 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be, what? Hereafter. From that point on in the book of the Revelation, everything you read is future. And that's the fact, is that you're reading something. Well, chapter 1, verse 3 tells you the book. Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth and that hear the words of this prophecy. Not history, but prophecy. So the book of the Revelation is what? It's a book of prophecy. Future. Future. And when you get to chapter 12, verse number 5, come over to Revelation 2, you're reading about Israel bringing forth a man-child who's going to rule all the nations. And the natural thing is to say that it's Christ, but it's more than Christ. Look back at Revelation 2, verse 26. So we're talking here to Thyatira twenty six and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end to him will I give power over the nations and he shall what rule excuse me rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall uh, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers even as I received of my father and I will give him the morning star he that hath an ear let him, hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. People that overcome, guess what they're going to do? The people that overcome during the tribulation, they go into that kingdom. What are they going to do? They're going to rule with Christ, but they're going to rule with a rod of iron. They're going to rule and reign. Now come back to Revelation 12, and let's just notice this issue. And there's a, point, there's a reason I'm showing you this, Okay. Revelation 12, verse number 5. Folks, they're going to rule and reign. There's a remnant of believers that are just like the little flock in the Acts period and in the Gospels who are going to be with Christ in a very special capacity in the kingdom. Now, Revelation 12, verse 5, happens in the midst of the week, Daniel calls them. Middle of the week, midst of the week, that 30 days. That borders both sides there. And in the midst of the week, Israel, that that nation of Israel, they're going to be here. They're going to bring forth a man-child who's going to sit, rule, and reign with a rod of iron. And then one day, he's going to be caught up to God. Verse 6, Revelation 12, 6. There... You know what? In the middle of the 70th week, there's going to be a mid tribulation rapture. There's going to be a catching up of a remnant in Israel. And that remnant is that 144,000. Okay? It's back here, it's the little flock. But because of the interruption, okay? Now we're over here. That one hundred forty-four thousand. They're gonna pop. They're gonna show up. The minutes of the week. They're gonna get caught up. Okay. Verse six. Notice what happens after the man-child is caught up there. What's that? Three and a half years. Okay. It's not, it's the over, it's the, it, the man child in verse number five is the 144,000. That's who that is. Verse six. And the woman, who's that? Israel. Fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,203 score days. 1,260 days. Israel is still on the earth. That's, that, that's what you got to decide, think here. The man child, the woman who brings forth the man child, the man child is raptured out, taken out, midst, middle of the week. The woman's left. The na- that nation does not go up. In other words, Israel doesn't leave. That 144,000 do. the nation of Israel Israel the woman is still on the ground verse 6 she didn't she didn't move she's gonna flee into the wilderness then over there in verse 13 and when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child verse 14 and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished a time, a times and a half times, from the face of the serpent three and a half years. Verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Isn't that interesting? Which, yes sir, which kept the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What verse 17 tells you, is that the little flock, the 144,000 over here, but that little flock, we'll close up the chart again, that little flock's been out there sowing the seed. And what, like we've always seen, what, the, what are they doing back here? Get out of that untoward generation, get into the little flock, come out of that apostate nation. The come back over to Revelation seven. This will help. Revelation seven. That the little flocks going to be sown out there, and their testimony is going to produce a believing nation out there. Okay, you've got Revelation seven. You got two things going on here. You got the hundred forty-four thousand working that mirror the little flocks work back here. They're bringing in. 3,000, multitude, great multitudes. They go into that first half of the week. By the way, the first half, the first three and a half years of the 70th week is all peace. It's called tribulation. And Matthew, then after the man, the 104,000 are taken home, Matthew calls it great tribulation. That's where she's running. But who runs? Who, who knows to run to the wilderness? Let them that hear and understand, flee to the mountains, Matthew 25. That, you see, that goofy, the, the apostate nation, they're sitting down there living high on the hog. But that believing remnant that's been produced by the 144,000, they're running for their lives because they know better. They know what's going on. Same picture here, okay? Oh, same thing over here that's going to happen, Okay? Revelation 7. Revelation 7. Kind of get down here in the weeds a little bit. Got to get going. Revelation 7, 1. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I... And I saw... Another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the who? The servants. These guys are called servants. He calls them servants back here. You're my servants. You're my witnesses. You're working for me until we've sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. So if he's sealing them, let's finish the verse. And there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of the world. Oh, of of, of Israel, right? You see, first of all, if he's sealing them before the earth is hurt, the earth doesn't get hurt until after the Antichrist is revealed. So the 144,000, I don't have a pen with me, they sit on this side. They start working out here. They're, gonna, they're actually literally going to go out and work in those seven churches areas in that Mediterranean Sea area, the Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Palestine, where everybody's scattered. They work there, they go in, they're doing, they're doing, and then whoop, they're gone. Okay. But they produce a multitude. Watch verse 9. Verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, he, he numbers them out. That's why I said earlier, you literally take those numbers and acts, and here they, you begin to work them out, and they, they work up. Verse 9, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And you keep on reading down there, verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulations and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of of the lamb therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them and what you're reading there from verse 9 down to that multitudes there in verse 14 is you're reading about the the product the fruit of the work of the 144,000 again tribulation they're gone before the great tribulation hits and that and and there <laughs> People say, oh, those are Gentiles. They're not Gentiles. When it gets up there in verse 9 about uh, could num- no man could number of all nations and language and kindreds, you go back and look, read in Luke and actually in Acts, the devout men of Israel were from all, out of all the known nations of the world of the day. They're listed in Acts 2. They're there. Okay? They're there. They're caught up... Um, Come over to chapter 14, I think it is. Chapter 14. You see, folks, chapter 14 of Revelation, just so you can see this. Revelation 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, as a voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. And before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 140 and 4,000 which were redeemed from the earth. You see, folks... They're up in there in the third heaven. They're in the throne room. They were redeemed. They've been raptured up. Again, after the great tribulation, Matthew, uh, I just had it. The overcomers, the people that are left, that are running through here, the true Israel of God. You see, the 144,000 mirror what the the 12 apostles and stuff are doing here, the little flock. They're doing it. They're producing the true Israel of God who now have to go into that great tribulation and be purged of the rebel. These guys, look at verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. That thing there about being defiled with women isn't about being married and having kids. That's being part of Jezebel's religion. The Baal worship. They didn't partake in that over there. They were were pure from the religious system. So the 144,000 sit here. Their goal, again, is to work out there and to do and to perform and to gather up the nation of Israel. If you look at verse 7, saying with a loud voice, uh, verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having... Well, he goes on down there and talks about it, about the judgment and the destruction. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains and the fountains of the waters. Verse 6, it's an everlasting gospel. He's preaching it out there to every, every nation, the Gentiles. Paul makes the allurement to it there in Galatians 1 about where an angel will preach to you from heaven. He's accursed. Why? Because in the dispensation of grace, he's not going to do that. But out over here, he does. Okay, so watch what happens here. You've got a parable that the Lord is teaching to the little flock in the moment that's looking out to this event, that's saying, look, you guys are going to go out there, and what you're going to do, the first thing you got to go do is gather up the little flock, the nation. You've got to gather these guys up, okay? and then you're going to go into the world and you're going to warn them about the judgment coming. That's where we're at, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Okay, now come over to Matthew 25. And what's going to happen is, is that 144,000 are going to do just that. They do just that in the book of Acts. So much so, I told you Matthew 25, right? So much so, that the Gentiles are going to believe the warning. So when he says, hey, there's a great multitude over here after the great tribulation, guess who else is standing amongst that, that true Israel of God? Who else is standing there? Gentiles. How do you know? Matthew 25, 31 to 34. What'd they do? When the Son of Man shall come in his glory... He's going to separate out the nations, put the sheep on one side, the goats on the other, right? Then he turns there in verse 33, verse 34, says unto them on his right, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a bunch of Gentiles that blessed Israel. During that tribulation period of time, they're going to now receive the blessings for blessing Israel. We remember Rahab. That's the big Gentile one everybody remembers is Rahab. We call her Rahab the harlot. You know, she was a harlot for over 20 years before Jericho. She, she had quit that business and was a seller of purple. She did other things, you know. But you know what happens there? Israel comes up, and you know what they do? They're, he's like, look, guys, I'm going to sow you into the world but you first, you got to take care of Israel. Got to get them ready, because they're the channel which the blessings flow through. Because in that kingdom, they have to Israel. The Paul in Galatians six. Just so you see that, where Paul, Galatians six verse sixteen, he says there. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace on them and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. And that's what we're trying to produce here. Uh, Come over with me to Isaiah 49. See the 144,000 back here in Isaiah. Isaiah 49. Again, Matthew 13, he's talking to these guys that are going to go here. They have no clue about the interruption. We go into the book of the Revelation, 144,000 match what they're going to be doing over here. What are they doing? They're gathering in the little flock, right? And they're warning the Gentiles. They're starting in Jerusalem. They're going to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. They get out over here in the 70th week. Now they start warning the Gentiles, and the Gentiles now are joining the flock if you will, okay? Isaiah 49, look at verse 5. Isaiah 49, 5. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. 49, 5. 49, 5. Okay? Somebody's going to be God's servant, By the way, Revelation 7, they were the servants of who? Don't don't hurt the earth until we seal the servants of God. Here they are. 144,000, he calls them, right? Revelation 7 there. That special class of people. Revelation 1, the first two verses. John talks there about uh, unto his servant John, the angel, okay? And he's going to testimony of all the things that he's going to see, and it's about the revelation of Christ and, it, and what he's going to be uh, signifying to his servants, things that must shortly come. Verse 5 here again, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. Isn't that interesting? See, that that servant is going to go out there and what's he going to gather up? The preserved, the remnant in Israel. And I will also gather thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. The servant That servant there, here, is Christ. But it's also that little flock, and what we read later is 144,000. Now come back to Matthew 13. They they are representing him. The Lord is leaving. He's going to die. He's going to ascend. He gives them the authority to represent him. All they know is that it's this and then this. <laughs> That's all they got. They know when, we, when he, it's coming. judgment's to coming. How? Because he's teaching them that. He's training them. So they go in. Now, when we go to the book of the Revelation, guess what? When we read about that 144,000 group and everybody has a hissy fit, okay? The man-child, 144,000. Midst of the week, they're taken up out of the way. What is, what's left then? The overcomer group? The believing remnant that they have formed and got together? The true Israel of God? Okay? And then they got that Israel's got to go through the back half to purge out the rebel, to get the dross out of them, to clean them all the way up the rest of the way. Yes? The overcomers do. The little flock does. Not the 144,000. Yeah. Yeah, the, the little, the, the, the believing, the believers in Israel. The believers in Israel. And they all get martyred? Not all of them, but some do. Not all of them. Not, not, not every one of them are killed. There are some that are going to go through, be, hide in the wilderness, those cities of refuge, and come out on the other side with no, they, they'll be a little thinner because of not enough to eat. No, no, he, no, 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 they, um, in, yeah, in Isaiah, well, if you read the overcomer statements in, in Revelation 2 and 3, they're going to get turned in by their neighbors, they're going to get turned in by family, they're going to be turned in for not taking the mark of the beast, they're going to be ridiculed and chased and persecuted. Those guys are the ones that are going to lose their heads, okay? But not everybody does. In Isaiah, he's talking about the... Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, you get a lot of garbage out there. That's why I'm trying to show you some of the Old Testament stuff of, hey... He's talking about a servant, Christ, servant, little flock, servant, 144,000. You know, they're all the same, going to be doing the same. Um, Matthew 13. He talks about that antichrist... And he says, he's a rod of my indignation. He's going to do things for me that he doesn't know he's doing it for me. He's going to do it. Because what does he have? Israel has to pass underneath that rod. That's that back half of those, of that three and a half years, out the back end of that tribulation. Okay? All right, got to we got to get going. Matthew 13, 38. So the good seed are sown into the world. Now look at the tares. Hey, caramba. The field field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. We got that. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. So the tares are the children of the wicked one. And again, the wicked one, that's the Antichrist. We looked at it last time. Uh, Back up there in verse 19, it's Satan. But it's Satan in in a very special capacity, and that is that issue of the Antichrist. That's that thing over there in 2 Thessalonians 2 about the wicked one doing the lying wonders and all of that. Verse 39 The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Now, come over with me to Romans, or Romans, (laughs) Revelation 2. Revelation 2. It is it is important that you understand all this, it really is, because it'll help get the the nonsense out of stuff that you hear, especially about what's going on today in society, and the end of the world, and the apocalypse, and I, I, I read a guy this afternoon, this morning, wasn't this afternoon, but this morning, all, you know, chicken little, their he- heavens are falling, all this stupid stuff again, and he's hunkered down in, in his bunker, and all this stupid stuff, and I'm sitting there going, somebody ought to go over there and cut the power off to that guy and see how quick he comes up out of the ground, you know. And and what and he know what he's quoting the Book of the Revelation. And I'm like, dude, shut up! Don't quote something you don't understand, you know. But he's got it pegged for us today and all this stuff, and it's just unreal. Anyway, what did I tell you? Revelation two. You. you, you it's important to understand this. It really is. To see it and to recognize it. Verse 2, 2-2. Two, two. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. There's a bunch of people. And that, again, I'll tell you, it's Second Peter over there. They're the apostles. They're false apostles going around. They say that they're apostles, but they're not. They belong to who? The wicked one. They belong to Satan. Verse 9, Revelation 2, 9. I know thy works and tribulations and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blaspheme of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. You know what's going to happen? That count, that's a counterfeit program going on right there. And that Antichrist, that thing in 2 2 Thessalonians 2, when the Antichrist sits on the throne as God, he's counterfeiting Judaism so close, he's got everybody tricked. And he's sitting there. Come back to Matthew 13. So, that counterfeit program's going on, and this little flock is going to be sent out into that. They're going to go out into that world. They're going to go out there with the good seed of the word of God, of the word of the kingdom. And there's going to be an opposition that's going to come up against them. And uh, it's going to be working in them. and I mean, it's going to be working against them. <laughs> and it, it's, 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 Satan's going to be out there. And as they go, that false seed, that terror gets planted in there. They look like they, they're the real deal. James over there, they, they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would not have gone out. And yet, there they go. Okay? Now, uh, verse 40. 1340. Uh, by the way, verse 39 there. The harvest is the end of the world. That's the end of, of the harvest. That's, it, it's done. It's finished. When this present evil world is no more. And the kingdom, the kingdoms in this world, as Revelation says, has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he's going to reign forever and ever. And that's important to understand. Verse 40, 1340. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The furnace of fire goes back to chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, that baptism of fire that he talks about. It's interesting in all of the descriptions here the thing that is not given a picture or a representative type is the fire. The seed is the word. It's the children and all the fields, the world. And you know what the fire is? It's the fire. There's, no, there's nothing going to... The fire doesn't represent nothing but the fire. <laughs> the fire that quenches not and is... Uh, ever. Uh, yeah, we're, I, Mark 9, 44, you, you, you'll get it. Go look it up, okay? So, by the way, we don't have the time to go back to Revelation, and you can read all that. I got a list of verses here. Verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. That's Daniel 12, verse number 3, where he says, And, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. When they're here, he's here giving them the information, teaching them, instructing them, putting it into the book. By the way, over here, guess what they have? The book. Okay, they got Job, they got it all. He puts it in, he says, all right, guys, when I leave, you're going to be the tares, you're going to be the seed in the field, the field's going to be the world. First thing you've got to do though is go get Israel right, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You've got Samaria, the northern ten tribes, Judah, the southern ten tribes, her, the southern two tribes, sorry, Her and Benjamin. You've got to get them right, then you're going to go out in the world. But what's going to come up against you is the adversary and the satanic policy of evil and the counterfeit program. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to prove to you who are really the true nation of God, Israel. And when he comes back, he's going to come out there and he's going to pull out of all the, that kingdom. He's going to do verse 41. It's the second coming. Gets out of all the iniquity out of it. And then they go into that kingdom of their father, verse 43, and they're good to go. Okay? The rest of the parables aren't so tough. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, they, they get interesting. Okay? You have to have these first two explained so gonna, we can catch the, the next of them, and uh, we'll move through the rest of them a little quicker than these, but you've got to catch what's going on here because you got the key. He's talking to the first one here right now we're going to do, but then he moves this group to here, and off he goes. Now, the thing that throws it all in a monkey wrench is Acts 7, what would Stephen see him do? Standing, ready to come back in judgment, wrath. So the next time they see the Lord, what should be coming out of, <laughs> he should be coming back. But rather it became grace, long-suffering, mercy, peace, and an interruption in that program. That's why 2 Peter 3 He'll, Peter will say, you want to understand the long-suffering, the interruption, go see Paul. But you better believe it. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He will get this done. But the Lord told Peter he was going to die. So he did die. So we're raptured out, taken home. The Lord reaches down. Now that Israel's program is back up, and gets that 144,000 going. He doesn't rec- resurrect the apostles here. He gets 140. That's an idea out there, by the way. He, he, you don't see them anywhere in the book of the Revelation until the end. He gets 144,000, which are going to mirror operations, what they're doing over here. James 1, what are they? Twelve tribes or what? Scattered abroad. Peter, by the way, in 2 Peter At the end of 1 Peter 5, he's in Babylon. But in 1 Peter 1, he tells you where they're all scattered. He lists the whole territory, all that uh, Palestine area and and southern Turkey area. So you know where they're at. The seven churches are all in that basin. They're right there. They're right there. That 144,000 go out into the scattered and bring in the believing remnant. Are you still in Matthew? Look over at Matthew 24. They bring in the believing remnant. They are going in. The Antichrist makes the deal. The two witnesses show up, Elijah and Moses. They work specifically in Jerusalem. They're killed, taken out. The 144,000 continue to work until the midst of that week. Then they're taken out, but they leave that multitude that they have created. That multitude then goes out to the rest of the, runs to the wilderness, to the cities of refuge. It always fascinated me in the Old Testament, the cities of refuge. And he gives them, tells them where they're at, run to them, go, get away from the, you know, you commit the, the, the murdered, the, the family of the murdered guy run. Why? Because no, notice Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that endured unto the end, the same shall be saved. The end of this stuff we're talking about. And the gospel of, this, of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then the end shall come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place, and the parenthesis is the kicker. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Notice where they're at. They're where? In Judea. Not in the United States. Not in Great Britain. Nowhere else but in where? Judea. In Israel. Let him, and off they go. The kicker is the parenthesis. Whosoever readeth, let him on. Who's going to understand that book? Only a Bible believer. That happens. The desolation of the temple, everything there in verse, happens in the midst of the week. That's where that happens. If I'm a believer, I'll be in heaven. But the believer, the believing remnant that the 144,000 have produced, are sitting here what are they gonna know to do time to go let's go let's get out of here and they're gonna flee into the wilderness revelation 12 revelation and so forth we read and they're gonna be taken care of meanwhile what's that unbelieving israel gonna do they're gonna sit here and be take the mark of the beast they're gonna they think they got it made now if satan is pursuing them which he does in revelation 12 that means he catches some of them. So some of them will be martyred. Some of them will be thrown in jail and so forth. And we've looked at that over the years. Okay? Now, back in Matthew 13, we'll catch the next... We'll catch the, the, parable, the two parables we skipped over to get to the tares inter- interpretation. Okay? And we've been going now over an hour. So I use the, this board to keep, keep the chalkboard clean. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for, for the age of grace and for your mercy and long suffering. that as we read and study about what these folks are going to face and go through that we can say thank you that we don't have to go through that and yet we live in your body and we live in who we are in your Son. In your name we pray. Amen.